first verse, verse 11. He that loves pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his, his friend. Love, pureness of heart. And, you know, that, that is something that is a spiritual uh, avenue. We can't do it in the flesh because the flesh desires uh, evil and not pureness. God says, if you desire pureness of heart, be the king's, be the king's friend, or, or you'll have the opportunity to, to, you know, to have great, and for the grace of his lips, you know, speaking, speaking with grace, speaking with kindness, shall the king shall be his friend. In other words, all, you know, gracious people, people of of responsibility, will be friends will be the friends. And there's another scripture that says that God will give us access to the kings and princes. Uh, and this this has happened to many Christians I know that have you know had access to governors and kings and been able to present the gospel to especially missionaries that get to go in front of you know authorities. And God honors those who honor him. And they will have the that kind of uh, expertise. The eyes of the Lord preserve knowledge, and he overthrows the words of the transgression, transgressor. God preserves his knowledge. The great news is we don't have to. We, we teach it, we, we share it with people, we study it, but God is the one that preserves it. He has preserved his word, and all true knowledge is knowledge of God. And Because even if it's science, it's studying God's creation, which is knowledge of God. If it's anything else, it's knowledge of God. And he preserves it. And God will give us and preserve his knowledge. The Bible has been tried to be destroyed for many, many, many millennia. People have tried to destroy the word of God. And it has not been accomplished. In the Old Testament, they tried to do it. In the New Testament, since the New Testament writings to our time, many, many dictators have tried to destroy the word of God. And yet it stands. And it will always stand because God protects it. And he will overthrow the transgressors. You know, when people speak against us, when people act against God, they will eventually be overthrown. They will reap what they sow. And this is the great news about God. He is the protector. He is the defender. We don't have to defend God. And I, and I love the story of Gideon when he first tore down the, 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 the idol to, to, to Baal and, and the people got angry and his father goes, if, God, if Baal's a god, let him <laughs> defend himself. If he needs your defense, he's not, a, he's not a god. And it was a great, great description. And we've always got to remember, God does not need our defense. He tells us to be ready to give a defense for what we believe, but he does not need our defense. The, the slothful man says, there's a lion without. I shall be slain in the streets. And this is, if you think about this, a slothful, lazy person, some of the excuses they come up with for not working are absolutely inane. And this is one of those. He lives in a city, obviously, because he's talking about streets. And he says, there's a lion in the streets. I shall be eaten. Okay? Now, if he was out in the country, you might be able to buy this excuse. There's a lion outside in the yard. I might be eaten. But here he's in a city because there's streets. And saying, there's a lion outside in the middle of these streets in the city, I might be eaten if I go outside. You know, and this is that idea that when somebody is lazy, and we know, we've all met or, or know lazy people, and some of the excuses they give for not working 
are really insane. It's too hot, it's too cold, it's too wet, it's too dry, too humid, uh, too many people out there working, you know, whatever the, the, the excuses might be, there's a million of them. And this proverb goes to say how inane their, their excuses can get. And I've heard some of them sometimes from people over the years. Uh, the, the mouth of the strange woman or the prostitute is a deep pit. He that is abhorred of the Lord shall fall therein. And this is that idea, deep pit, full of, full of corruption, full of problems. And the really, the, the Proverbs is all about the, the, the prostitute, the, the loose woman trying to, to deceive, deceive people, lead them astray. And this is what God says, and he, if, you, if you're a port of God, you're not in love with God, you're not fellowshipping with him, you're going to fall into these traps. And this is important for us to understand, and we've talked about this. God is our power. He's our defense. He's our strength. He wants to be that person that we run into. And if we're running into God for defense, we're not going to be able to fall into all the other pits because we're already defended. And sin is laying out there with all kinds of deception whether it's the the deception of the of the prostitute or the deception of lies easy easy money whatever that deception is out there it is out there word of the lord shall fall therein there who's rejecting god will fall into these deep pits and very critical for us to keep in keep in mind Foolishness is in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction drives it far from him. And this is one that the world hates because they look at it and say, you know, you're talking about child abuse when you're talking about the rod. And it's very important that we understand God says the children need to be disciplined. And if you discipline your child early enough, you will not have to discipline them hardly at all the rest of their life because they're used to being disciplined. And you help out as for them as adults because they're used to being disciplined. And in the heart of a child is that sin nature, that nature that wants to go wrong. And it's our job as parents to teach our children to walk according to the rules of God and according to His ways, and it takes discipline. Whether it is physical discipline when they're young, and that's when physical discipline is best, is when they're young, and then you get into other disciplines that are well, as they get older. But for a young child, a swat on the bottom side is a very good you know, application of lightweight pain to them for doing wrong. You know, we're not talking about beat a child to death. You know, that is child abuse. We're not talking about causing you know, long-term pain. But that the, the little, little paddling on the backside where all that fat is is not going to hurt them. It may sting the skin, but that heals. And it teaches them to obey. It teaches them to obey. And when my kids were little, they got spankings. And when they got a little older, I never had to really spank. I don't think I ever spanked the kids after they got past eight or nine years old. Uh, before that, they got some spankings once in a while. And then they got usually privileges taken away. The older they got, the more, they, more it turned into privileges being taken away. Because privileges hurt the, hurt the teenager a lot more than and trying to put them over your knee and spank them. That's not going to do much good for most teenagers. So very important, the, the rod of discipline, the rod, something that causes pain. And, and businesses do it all the time, whether it's cutting hours or suspending people or 
or even going to the extreme of firing them, they're, they're practicing discipline. Uh, and it's kind of hard in these days because the kids haven't been disciplined by their parents and usually not even by the school. Now, then they hit the workplace and all of a sudden they get discipline put on them. And then don't understand when they're being fired and think, they're, think they've been treated unfair. Because the workplace is the first place they've been told you're not, as, you're not as good as you think you are and you're not doing the work that we want you to do. And they have trouble with that. So it is important, we as parents need to drive that foolish heart out of our children and teach them discipline. Verse 16, he that opposes the poor to increase his riches, and he that gives to the rich shall surely come to want. Bow down your ear, your heart, unto my knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing if you keep them within you. They shall with withal be lift, fitted in your lips, that your refuge may be in the Lord. I have made known to you this day, even to you. Have I not written to you excellent things and counsels and knowledge? So we look at this. He that poses or exploits the poor to increase his riches, and he that gives to the rich shall surely come to want. And this is that you will reap what you sow, and this is the people that think they're getting away with it when they exploit the poor. I'm going to get everything I want. I'm going to take from the poor. I'm going to, you know, because I can take advantage of them. I'm stronger. I'm, I can put them out of their home, whatever it might be. God says that eventually that person will have want. And the first want that they have is the lack of peace, that God won't let them have peace. But eventually they will have want. Even if it means when they get to eternity, they will have a great want because of they will lack everything. They won't have anything for eternity. And God says that if they exploit the poor to increase their riches. And then he goes, and he that gives to the rich. You know, you can't bribe the rich. <laughs> you know, most people, you know, unless you're richer than they are, you can't, and then you would consider them poor. You can't bribe a rich man, you know. What are you going to offer him? You're my whole paycheck. Here, have my $200. Have my $500. And they're going to look at you like, what? I make that in a minute. You know, you know what is this? If you're trying to give to the poor, you're trying to bribe, the, uh, 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 give to the rich, trying to bribe the rich, you know, and get your way with them, you, you, they look at you and say, you know, <laughs> it's almost a laugh to them. You know, they're not, they're, there's nothing there for them. And God is saying, you know, you can't exploit the poor and you can't buy your way into the rich. And so we want to be keeping this in mind. God wants integrity with our dealing with people. He wants us to treat the poor kindly with love. And the rich with the same type of attitude. It's very important for us to look at how do we treat others. It has to be in a godly manner. And God is saying, I want you to be godly. Don't despise the poor. Don't, you know, don't even despise the rich. I was listening to Mark this afternoon on the radio. This one pastor says, don't compare your blessings. Just be, count your blessings. Don't compare them to other people. Don't even compare them to yourself because all you want to do is say, I've been blessed. I have gotten this from God. Because if I start comparing myself and I say, well, I don't have as much as that person got. Why does that person have so much? And, I, and I've kind of looked at it that way sometimes, you know. Sometimes you look at these people who get saved and their entire life is changed instantly overnight. And then I look at myself and say, God, why am I being so slow? Is there something I'm doing wrong? 
No, it is the way God works. He's given me my blessing. He's given them their blessing. I can't compare the two and say, why? Because God's got his reasons for it. And if I start comparing my, comparing my blessings, I'm either going to get proud that I'm getting a greater blessing, or I'm going to be depressed and upset that my blessing doesn't seem to be as great as somebody else's. So I need to count my blessings because God knows what's good for me, what I need, what I can handle, what I need to be able to minister to people. And so it's very important that we look at that. Verse 17, bow down your ear and hear the words of the wise. Apply them, apply your heart unto my knowledge. And this is our part in understanding. It is very easy just to ignore. I mean, have all this word. We in America are so blessed. We've got the word of God. We have a million churches to choose from to, to listen to it being preached. We have all the radio stations on, the, on, the, on there, you know, all this, all this constant pouring out of God's word. And God says, bow your ear down. Humble yourself. Listen. Be ready to hear. And when you hear the words of wisdom and, and wise, apply them. So many people sit in churches all the time and listen to thousands of messages. And they basically the information has gone in one ear, right through the head, out the other ear. And they've not listened to a word that's been said. And they, they couldn't tell you what they've heard in a message. They can't tell you how it's applied to their life. They can't even look at their life and say, this has made changes in my life. And God says, bow your ear. Pay attention. This is one of the reasons it's good to be writing notes and stuff down when you're hearing, hearing messages. Uh, when you, when you, because just the writing of them helps you remember. Even if you never go back to reread them, the writing of it helps you to remember. I found some... <laughs> journals I've done from 2013 because we looked at, you know, not long enough. I would like to look at them longer. Uh -huh. And then we purposely apply God's word to our heart, to the way we live. And that takes purpose. It takes the very minimum of surrendering my life to God and letting him change me. That's the minimum of what it is to change. But it takes an effort. I can't just sit there and say, okay, God, I'm going to sit here and listen to a million messages and you're going to change my life because that's not going to do it. You know, just listening to a message, just reading his word is not going to change our life. We have to read it with, God, how is it going to change me? What am I going to see? And this is that whole mentality that we've talked about so many times. Or out of the heart, out of the abundance of the heart, we speak. When you listen to people and you're around people enough, you get to learn what is in their heart. You know, they may talk about loving people, but if they're speaking negative about people all the time and being unkind to people, then they don't have love in their heart. If they, if they are you know, tearing people down, then they don't have that love of God in their heart. If, they're build, if you find them mostly building people up and edifying people, you know that God's word and his, is edifying and building them up. We speak from the abundance of our heart. And the more you get to know somebody, the more you listen to what they say, not how they act, not the mask they put in front of you, but how do they act when nobody's looking? How do they act when everything seems to be going wrong for them? 
then you can look at them and say, okay, there is somebody who's following God. Look at how they're, look how they're responding. When something bad happens, do they praise God or do they go into, go into depression and criticize and, and, and question? It shows you the abundance of their heart. Now, it, we can expect that for a short time, if everything's going wrong for somebody, there may be that time when they get crushed for a moment and, and their flesh comes out. But how are they a week afterwards? Are they crushed still or has God taken back over their life? When they, when they come face to face with somebody that needs help, how do they respond to them? Are they able to minister to that person because they love them? Or is it, well, get away, oh, I don't have time for you. <laughs> you know, and there's a lot of people that are like that. You know, eh, I don't have time, you know. But, but, but they'll talk about how they're going to help people and do things. But when it comes to yeah, actually the doing something, it may not happen. And this trust is his refuge, that your refuge may be in the Lord. And we talk about that a lot. The refuge be in the Lord, our hiding place, our strong tower. Where do we hide when we have trouble? And God wants to be that. He says, your trust is in his word, his knowledge, his teachings, that I have made known to you this day, even to you. But he says, I have made known to you this day. God makes his wisdom and his knowledge and his teachings, he makes them known to us. All we have to do is take advantage of them. And even where God's word cannot be preached in the open, it still gets taught. It's an amazing thing that even, even when the communist countries closed down the borders and tried to not let Christianity in, Christianity flourished in the underground churches. And it's very important for us to really see this. God's word will be presented by him. He will make it known. He will teach it. So we want to be able to look at that. And he says, have I not written it to you? written to you excellent things in counsel and knowledge. God says, I have written it to you. He's written it to us. He's given it us word. He then presents it to us in many different ways. So many ways. And I've shared over and over in my lifetime. The Holy Spirit will teach us. We really don't need anybody to teach us. It's great to have somebody teaching us. But the Holy Spirit, if we really seek after God and say, God, what does this mean? He will teach us. Now, it's easier with, with teachers to be able to help us learn and go forward. But even if there was not a teacher anywhere about the Word and you had just the Word of God, the Holy Spirit would teach you. Now, it's faster, it's easier when somebody's there to help teach you who studied and, 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 and learned and everything. But we still need to be able to follow ourselves and teach and, and learn. And it's critical for us to be able to do that. That I, I'll reread 20. Have, I, have not I written to you excellent things in counsel and knowledge that I might make you know for the certainty of the words of truth, that you might know answer the words of truth to them that send unto you? Rob not the poor because he is poor, neither oppress soul. All right, so we'll go back to this verse 20. Have I not written unto you excellent things in counsel and knowledge that I may make you know the certainty God has done it. He gives us the word so that we will know the certainty of his truth. I meet people who tell me the Bible's full of errors, it's got contradictions, it's got problems, and I challenge them because I know that there aren't any. They're just repeating what other smart professors have told them that haven't read the Bible either. 
Now, the question is, have you read the book? Have you studied the book? And those who tell you there's contradictions and problems in there, the first thing I know is that they have not studied the book. Because if they had, they wouldn't have the contradict. They would know there's no contradictions in it. So they will give you some stupid apparent contradictions that are easily answered every time. So don't be afraid when people tell you there's problems with the Bible. They don't know what they're talking about. Because God says he wrote these so that we would know for certainty the words of truth. That we would be able to answer the words of truth to them that, that are sent. We have answers. If we're studying the scriptures, we're learning the scriptures, we will have answers for those who come against it. Because it is the truth. And a very strong thing, truth is never afraid of lies. Truth is not afraid of challenges. Because it is true. Lies are always afraid of challenges. If somebody is giving you lies, they are always afraid of challenges. This is why in schools, the science teaches evolution and only evolution because they know that it does not stand up against truth. Most Christian schools will teach both evolution and, and creationism because they know that creationism has no problem standing up against the lie of evolution. They have no problem with it, so they teach people, this is what they're going to say, this is what they believe, and then they teach you teach you the, the truth of creationism and, the, and you've got the truth standing against the lie and it stands up very clear. And lies can never, never want to be challenged. This is the, the idea in the court case where somebody is challenged. You know, the perjurer should know that they're, they're going to almost always get caught because they're going to be having to tell the, they have to tell the same lie over and over and over again with all the details staying consistent. Or they're going to get tripped up and they're going to say, you're telling lies, we don't believe you. And the truth always prevails. Jesus says, the truth shall set you free. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He sets us free. He gives us honesty. He gives us truth. And we want to be able to look that truth can stand. God's word will always stand up to any challenge. We do not have to worry about his word. We do not have to worry about defending God because he is true. And as we live in a lifestyle that is his, we don't have to worry about it either because we are walking in his truth. If, when we're not walking in his truth, we'll have some problems. Rob not the poor because he is poor, nor oppress the afflicted in the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause and spoil the soul of those who spoil them. And this is, most people, when they rob people, they don't usually try to rob the, the, the most sophisticated rich person because the rich person probably has defenses in place. Uh, mansions do not usually get robbed, contrary to all of the TV shows and, and detective shows and all of that. It's not usually the very wealthy that get robbed because when you rob them, you've got to deal with safes and alarm systems security and security, security guards and dogs and and all these things, so you have to be a very sophisticated person to be able to rob that type of person. It's the, the middle and the, and the poor person who has just enough to be worth going in their house to take some stuff, but not going to have the, all the security systems and, and material. So the, rob, the poor often do get robbed. And it's a very sad thing. It's, you know, uh, if you live in a poor neighborhood, you're likely to get robbed just because that's, number one, those are the type of people that live there. 
And it's an amazing thing, and I've talked to many, many different police officers and just, you know, people in the justice system. The poor people seem to rob people in their own neighborhood. They're not going to drive the, the, the however how far they have to go to the, go to the rich neighborhood to rob people. They rob people, destroy things like the riots that have been in Ferguson and, and Baltimore and any other city. They don't go to the rich people's homes, uh, neighborhoods, and have a riot. They go to their own neighborhood, which is already depressed, already has the problem getting businesses in, and then have a riot in their neighborhood. This is the type of thing that's talking about. Don't rob the poor. Don't afflict those that are already afflicted and in, in oppose those that are already afflicted. And God says that he will plead their cause. And you want to talk about a lawyer who's never lost a case, that's God. If he pleads somebody's case, he is going to get justice for them. And that may be eternal justice, in my, but it is even in this world where he'll get their justice. And God says he will plead the case of the poor. He will plead the case of the oppressed, the afflicted. He pleads the case of the widows and the orphans. If people want to get in trouble with God, treat the orphans and widows and the poor poorly, and God will come against that person. Whether it's to take away any joy they have, any pleasure they have, any, any good times they have, he will come and he will oppress them. And they will regret what they've done and not want to do it. And God says he will spoil the soul of those that spoiled them. The soul. Not just their possessions. And this is what I'm talking about. He comes into their very life, their very heart, and gets rid of any peace, any joy that they may have to try to get them to turn. And when God comes against you, look out. Look out if God is the one coming against you. Because if he's going to, and he says spoil, and you think about the idea of spoiling, you know, it goes to that whole idea of war when somebody has been totally defeated and their body is stripped of everything that, anything of value they have. And, it, and that's the spoils of war. They would go in and they would strip the bodies of anything of value. God says he's going to strip the soul of any value that it has for those who are oppressing God. And you see these people who go around in total depression and total... Total, you know, everything has gone wrong, gloom and doom in their life. Probably because they've done things that God has said, okay, it's time to spoil your soul. Spoil your soul, not knowing the joy of the Lord. Because it says, he goes, because you may learn his ways. Because you may learn his ways when you go with him. And this is important, a furious, and this is, this is, this is that idea of being red-faced. This is that angry man who's always upset. And we've all met people that seem to always be upset, you know, or right on the edge. You know, there's there's that handful of people that if you see them with a smile on their face, you know, and you're going, and you're looking at them and going, I wonder what's wrong. When are they going to blow up again? Because they're always angry. Then you see them so rarely with any kind of joy in their, on their life. You know, and if they're if they're not yelling at somebody, they're right on the cusp of it. You know, and, and it's no matter what happens, they're ready to come come unglued. And it says, make no friendship with an angry man. Don't be hanging around with that person. Don't, don't want to be around them. If you're furious and you're going with them, you're either going to get beat up or, or hurt, or you're going to be with them when they go after somebody else. So you don't want to be around that person. 
Uh, if you're with somebody who's furious and angry, you need to get away from them because you're going to be in the wrong place at the wrong time if you stick, if you stick with them. And then verse 25, lest you learn his ways and get a snare to your soul. A snare to our soul by being with the wrong type of people. And we've talked about that many times. When people that hang around together start becoming like each other, which is our advantage of having people in church and being around the, the Christians, is that we start rubbing off on each other for a good way instead of a negative. Uh, and it's a, the, the old adage, the birds of a feather flock together. You know, if you're, if you're with somebody who's a, or a thief, then you're probably going to be involved in some theft of theirs at some point in time, if not becoming a thief. If you're with people who lie, you're going to start lying because that's who you're, who you're with. You get with somebody who's an angry person like this, you're going to learn to be an angry person. And we see that in families where a father or a mother is an angry person all the time. You'll see that evidence within their kids of that anger you know, out there because that's who they hang with. And we see it also with those who are in drugs and everything. Their kids will usually end up being in drugs, alcohol, whatever it is, that the sins will propel, will propel themselves onto the kids. But it's not just the kids. If we hang around people like that, we will become like them. We don't change people usually to the good, which is why it's so important. The scriptures tell us, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, and so much more as you see the day approaching. We need the body of Christ so that we can continue to grow and be influenced by other people that are growing in God. 